You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. In the name of God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Y'all can have a seat. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, folks. Come on now. Good morning, people. Uh, This is the last week in the series that we've been doing. If you've been with us, we've been going through a series in the book of James, and we've been calling it First Fruits. This is the last week of that series. You know, it's a good series. The psalmist tells us the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, which means that everything we have, everything that we attribute good in our life, everything we possess is actually a gift from God. It's not ours. And so we've been asking the question, what does it look like then to be caretakers, stewards of something that's not yours? Especially as Christians, we want to take those gifts of God and actually use them for the glory of God. Is that right? God has entrusted us with these gifts. So to wrap up our series this week, we've looked at a few things all along the way. This week, we're going to be considering what does it look like to be good stewards of the gift of prayer this morning? You guys ready for this? This is a great way to land this series. So let's think for a second. What an incredible wealth we have in being able to speak and hear from God. At the dinner table, when I teach our kids about prayer, um, most recently it was Madison. I said, Maddie, do you know when you say God? He says, shh, to all the angels, Maddie's praying. He puts his ear down real close and he listens to every single word you have to say. And her her eyes light up like, wow, how can that be? And it's really great to be a parent to teach like that because then you kind of have this like mirror reflection of, oh yeah, isn't that true? I wish I was filled with the same wonder of what it is that we have in the gift of prayer. Before we move too quickly over just uh, saying, yeah, of course we can pray, let's take a look at the utter scandal that is our ability to communicate with the creator, with him. In suffering, Sickness, joy, and even real, normal, bland times in our life, we have the gift of prayer. We have this ability to speak with God. Prayer has no regard to political lines, economic status. It doesn't have regards for anything, really. It's really the soul's posture and openness to the grand gesture of God who has come to us in Jesus Christ. And prayer is accessible for everyone. You don't even have to have your life kind of all together to be able to pray to God. Through Christ, through Jesus, our Lord, we have access to the throne room of God who is managing the cosmos as it whirls about throughout history. This is the access that we have. No matter what our circumstance, we can actually pray knowing that we have a God who actually listens to us, who quiets the heavenly hosts who are parting and says, wait a minute, my my child is praying, she's speaking to me. And consider this, there is no higher, more wonderful, more important goal for any human being. Think about this. There's nothing greater for a human being than to be occupied with, adoring, speaking to, wondering about God. There is no higher vocation. What's my purpose in life? There it is. To wonder about, to adore, to spend time, waste time thinking about the wonders of God. So what does it mean then to be good stewards of this treasure that we have in prayer? Of our highest occupation being occupied with God. 
What does it look like to be good stewards? Well, James chapter five, we're getting to the end of this book. James lands his entire letter um, in prayer, and fittingly so. He sketches out the power of prayer very simply. He says this, he says it really simply. He says, are you hurting? Pray. That's great advice, that's good. It's not too complicated. Do you feel great? Everything going well? You should praise God for all that's going well in your life. Sing his praises. Believing prayer will heal you. And Jesus will put you on your feet. So pray. There's really nothing to it. Believing prayer can heal the body. Do you believe that? Then pray. And if you've sinned, you'll be forgiven. Pray. You'll be healed inside and outside if you turn to your heavenly Father who wants to hear you pray, who wants to hear you speak to him and call out to him for healing and forgiveness. As a matter of fact, James points out, you should make confession prayer like a really common practice in your life. How many times during the day do we confess our sins to someone else or a priest, a brother and sister? James says, why not? Do you believe that when you confess your sins to others, you will be forgiven? You will be healed. So pray and confess those sins daily. Make that super common. Like, of course I'm confessing my sins. I do this all the time. Why not? Be healed and reconciled by the power of God through prayer. Now, James underlines the power of prayer uh, this way, or he underlines it throughout his whole book, and you can kind of see threads coming, and then he lands it in the last chapter in chapter five. And the picture we get is that James has this view of prayer that is the most powerful, the most wonderful, the most essential way of relating to God as a Christian. This is kind of what prayer is. More than money, more than tanks, more than violence and manipulation or any other ways of the world and the way it uses its power, prayer is most powerful. Prayer is our access to God. Why? How is this possible? Because, because we're so wonderful and good looking and smart and we have perfect theology, that's why we get access to God, right? Right? No, not at all. We have in Jesus Christ a high priest, the righteous one, through whom we have access to the throne of grace, the very presence of God. In Jesus, we can stand in a life made right, things put back together again, and, with, and we can pray to God with confidence. So consider this, the prayers of the people that we have after the sermon, where some, we get into the, the motions of it, and we're praying for the church and for the world. What an incredible tool in our neighborhood to be able to stand as Christ's body in his righteousness, calling out those things that we would ask for the favor of God on. What power? There is no greater power in our neighborhood than the prayers of the people in this body, worshiping God and calling for his help on behalf of South Austin and our country. Let that settle. We have a high priest who ushers us into the presence of God and gives us a hearing. Take Elijah, for example. James continues to make the point, who asked God to stop the rain, and it stopped. It's incredible. He prayed for it to begin again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth yielded its harvest. How much more then? How much more then? That was Elijah. How much more then, now that we have Jesus Christ, our high priest, the righteous one, who intercedes for us and gives us access to the throne of grace, how much more will our heavenly Father hear us through our Lord Jesus Christ as his people? Can you imagine 
if we took this seriously, if we could really get in view of what, what this all really means, what this might change for us, what this might change for our neighbors, even those people who said, no, there's no such thing as God, nobody's listening. Can you imagine what a prayer life, a faithful community like us, would change in a neighborhood like this? If we learn to steward, this is what I think it means, to steward the power of prayer for our family's sake, for our neighbor's sake, for the sake of others. James, I think, has it in view. I think he sees it. I think he's landing his letter this way because he knows, he sees it. He's caught a glimpse. I think this is why he wraps up his entire uh, letter to us, to the church, by urging us to pray for those who are far off. Did you catch that at the end of the reading? Go catch those who are far off. Start with prayer. Pray for them. Go catch them. Go bring them back to the faith. Don't write them off. Do you have people like that in your life who've run away from God, who are far off? James says, don't give up on them. Who are you to give up on them? Do you know who you are? Man, go get them. Don't write them off. Pray for them. Go after them and begin with prayer. Now, as wonderful and powerful as, as James sees prayer to be, and it truly is, for some reason, and let's just be really honest, can we just be frank? For some reason, prayer just happens to be that last thing that we think of doing so often. Prayer seems to be that one thing that is the most neglected treasure of the Christian life for some reason. Can you relate with that at all? Man, I can relate with that. Instead of seeing prayer like James does as this revolutionary approach to life, this changes everything. Instead of seeing it like that, we tend to treat it as this last ditch effort. Well, I mean, nothing else is gonna work. We might as well pray, right? That's how it often comes about. There have been pr plenty of times in my, li my, my life whether I was sick, I was feeling lost or confused, uh, when I finally, after I had pushed down every door and couldn't find a way out and I was just stuck, there's so many times in my life where I finally had this like brick hit me in the head from heaven that said, well, I guess I should pray actually. What a wonderful brick that is. And so many times, time after time after time, God has, in his grace, in his goodness, because he could have said, man, you were, you were like, you're like a thick-headed guy. You should have got this like round one. But it takes me so long. So many times I've come to that last ditch effort of prayer, and God still in his goodness and his patience and his grace says, you know what, I am still going to speak to you. I'm still going to move in your life. I'm still going to bring about wonders in your life. Just watch how backward it is of us to treat prayer as the last ditch effort. Maybe our view of God needs some inspection too. Maybe we need to kind of step back and say, well, who do we think God is? Do we believe in a God who has set the world in its place like a clock and then stepped back? Doesn't interfere with anything? Good luck, world. Is that the God we believe in? If that's the God you believe in, he doesn't exist. You're an atheist. That, that God does not exist. The God that exists is a God who has created something far different. In Christ, we have become aware of a God who is coming near to his creation, who inhabits his creation, who is establishing his reign and rule, not in some like other place, but here among us in our neighborhood, even in South Austin. That is the God who exists. In Jesus, we see that God is actively putting the world back together again. He hasn't abandoned it and isn't concerned with something else. In Jesus, we see a God who is healing actively today, who is forgiving 
sins of regular people like you and me, who is setting the world back right, who is healing families, married couples, who is reconciling friends. That is the God that we know, the God who is concerned with justice, who doesn't turn a blind eye to the evils of the world, but is actively, and more than you and I could ever imagine, is so invested in bringing about righteousness in our world. He sees the suffering, and he is near to them. And when we look to Jesus, we see this view of God summarized. We see it in Jesus. We see in Jesus everything James is describing even in the life of prayer. We see someone who is convinced of the power of prayer in Jesus. We, and we think about this. If you've ever read stories of Jesus, he's walking around, he's healing the sick. He praises God. Even in the middle of a debate with some like really intellectual scholars, he'll break out in a prayer, God, thank you, right? Just interrupting. He praises God. He heals the sick. He reconciles the outsiders, those who are not good enough, not clean enough, aren't the right ethnicity, aren't rich enough. Those people, he actually goes to them and reconciles them to himself. He forgives sins when you read about Jesus. He chases after the lost, just like James talks about. For us, you see, James isn't describing some disembodied ideal. He's not describing a slogan for Christians. This isn't like good advice. James is describing the life of the person of Jesus. Jesus has demonstrated what James is talking about. So prayer isn't for us some optional thing that no one's ever really gonna get to ideally, I mean, the way you're supposed to. The prayer, James isn't describing prayer as just an accessory for the Christian life, like a nice handbag. You, if you're into that kind of thing, you can pick up prayer as a Christian. Instead, James is saying it, it is so essential, actually, to be a Christian means to pray, means to realize the wealth and the power of God's nearness in your life, and that when you speak, he is concerned and he hears you as his children. Church, for us to really embrace this, you need to listen. Everybody paying attention? Are you with me? Listen to me. Being a good steward of prayer means repenting right now of that myth that you have got this. You don't got this. You do not have this handled. Let's repent of that myth. That's a lie. Or that God isn't listening. Talked to a friend recently who's a market analyst, economist guy. And for him, everything's like a zero-sum game. It is not that way with God. God has more time. He, he invented time, let's say, because it's true. He has time for you. It's not that I've heard people say all the time, well, I would pray about this, but God's got more important things to do. Are you serious? You think time is some commodity that God's going to run out of? He has time for you. So let's repent of the myth that God doesn't have time or that he isn't listening or isn't concerned. Let's repent of the myth that you've got more important things to do than pray. Let's reject the nonsense and step into what is reality, the truth. That God is the supreme reality. He is what's most important because he is what's most real. Being a good steward of prayer means Occupying ourselves with the presence and the reality of a God who lives and moves near to us. That's what it means to be a good steward of prayer. And that his goodness is being poured out in South Austin 
actively today, even now while we're here worshiping. God's goodness has come to South Austin. So being a good steward of prayer means learning to pray, for one, because we don't all know how to pray. There is such thing as bad prayer. Taking on rhythms of prayer in your life like the Lord's Prayer. This is why the Lord taught us to pray, taught his disciples. The Lord teaches us to pray, taught them the Lord's Prayer. It teaches us that, uh, it teaches us about who it is that we're actually speaking to. Bad prayer is prayer that doesn't know who it's speaking to. So God, Jesus teaches us, when you pray, you should pray like this. And in so doing, he's actually describing who God is. That he's concerned for even things like our daily bread. So take on the Lord's Prayer as a rhythm to learn how to pray. This is why, by the way, we read prayers in this church. Because we have so many like rock star prayer champion interceding people in our Christian faith who have written such beautiful, such poetic prayer that when you read it, you go, man, I couldn't have sent it better myself. And that's the point. Take on the wealth of these mentors who have written you these prayers. Pray the Psalms like we just did. Put the prayer book of Jesus himself in your mouth and pray in light of him and with him. Use your bodies to pray. Even when your heart's like, I'm not, I'm not up for it. I don't want to pray. Man, that's exactly when you should make the sign of the cross. Like, yes, Lord, I'm yours. This body right here. Or even bowing yourself to the waist. God, you're in charge. Even though my heart doesn't want to believe this, I'm going to lead with my body and pray with my body. It's been so helpful for me. Cross yourself during the service saying amen. Some of us come from church services where if you're like really in, like you got your worship mojo going on, your hands are raised and you're like getting at it like that. Well, one of the ways, and that's fine, that's wonderful. The one of the ways that Anglicans or Christians throughout history have said amen, yes, Lord, that's what I'm talking about, make it so, is by making the sign of the cross on their body, saying yes, on me, Lord, yes, amen. So there's another way. Don't read the creeds. In fact, Never read the creeds in this service. But instead, announce your faith in the words of the creed as a prayer. Learn to be silent, becoming attentive to the presence of God, that he's not somewhere else, but that he's here. Confess your sin, as James recommends. All the time, get into this habit of confessing your sin, even to a priest. And as Anglicans, we have this beautiful way of, of uh, receiving people's confessions and giving them words of absolution. So I encourage you to do that. Pray the daily office. There's so many ways to pray, you guys. Pray the daily office with the global church and allow the tradition to wrap around you and, and mature you as you craft your language and practice of prayer. Resurrection, may, the con may, we, be, may we become, as stewards of prayer, the conduits of God's healing power, his grace, his goodness unleashed in our lives and in the lives of others in our neighborhood. Let's build a life of prayer together as a Christian community, as a people full of hope that God is actually at work and not busy and somewhere else concerned with something else. But let's actually build a community that is so faithful about prayer and that we believe that and hope that God is actually active and among us and at work. Let's venture into the wonders of prayer as James urges us learning to steward it for the glory of God and for the sake of others. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's spend a quick moment of silence. Just allow the Holy Spirit to continue to speak. And this is a great time. You'll notice this is all over the service, these moments of silence, just to open ourselves to the presence of God and allow the Spirit to speak. So let's do that. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith. 
learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at rezaustin.com.